Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. You have all made it to the You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 196. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. Denver Film Festival 41, baby, that's right. Last week, we kicked it off with the festival director, Britta Erickson, and now we dive into the content. We're talking to filmmakers, and first up, I've got one of the directors and the editor of Meow Wolf Origin Story. That's right, Meow Wolf. They are taking over the art world. They are coming with a thunder to Denver, to Las Vegas, to Austin. It started in Santa Fe. And if you haven't seen this documentary, it is fantastic. I encourage you to get to the Denver Film Festival and check it out this Wednesday, which will be your last chance to see it at DFF. But it's also coming to more than 600 screens on November 30th. So go to the John of All Trades website. That's J-O-N of all trades.us. I'll have a link to all the places where you can check out this film. But I got an advanced copy and I got to sit down with the director and the editor. And I got to tell you, they are two very talented, very engaging women. And this is a tremendous film. And it's near and dear to my heart because when you do a podcast or when you start a business or a nonprofit, of which I've done all three, you're sort of scrappy. You're sort of the underdog. You're trying to elbow your way into some space. And that's exactly what these Meow Wolf folks were doing. You look at the Santa Fe art community and you have a perception about it. You know, you picture sort of tourists going around enjoying this nice southwestern art. And then you've got these punk rock folks on the margins just creating some of the weirdest stuff on earth. And they're getting told like, hey, you can't do that. You're going to ruin our art community. This is not what we're about. Yet here is Meow Wolf today. A $150 million company with eyes toward becoming a billion dollar company. Like I said, Santa Fe, they've got a new installation going in in Vegas in 2019, Denver in 2020, Austin at some point in the future, and they are growing by leaps and bounds. So the origin story does a great job of taking you through that journey. And on this week's show, we talk about a lot of themes that are common to entrepreneurs and things that I love. How do you maintain that spirit, that sort of DIY underdog spirit when you become what you initially railed against? You know, how do you scale up? Because those are very different skill sets. And how do you create the culture that you want to have? How do you maintain that as you were leveling up? And both Morgan Caps, who is one of the directors, and Alessandra Dobrin-Kulsa, who is the editor, have fascinating insight into this because they have culled through so much footage learning more about Meow Wolf than probably anyone else on earth. They have almost an encyclopedic knowledge of some of the interviews. So you can think of this edition of the podcast as almost like deleted scenes from the movie because they'll give insights from some of the interviews that they did that ended up not making the final cut. It's fantastic. And this is why I love this time of year so much because I'm getting like a fire hose of content. I've done two interviews. We've got another one going up on Thursday. This one goes up on Tuesday as opposed to our normal Wednesday. And I've got three more coming after this. So that's going to be six episodes from this year's Denver Film Fest. You know, starting with Britta, who I adore, who is fantastic and a force for good here in Denver, to today with Morgan Capps and Alessandra Dobrinkulsa. Stay tuned to the John of All Trade social media pages. I'm going to be teasing out future episodes. I'm going to be given sort of a, uh, a look at what's ahead. So if you go to Facebook, check out J O A T pod, and that's across platforms. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. That's Snapchat. That's Pinterest. But Facebook is the only place to get exclusive previews. I'll post the episodes on all those other platforms, but Facebook is the place to get the jump on them. 
We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play. Just search for John of All Trades. Give us a rating, give us a review, and hit that subscribe button. You'll get brand new episodes, including all of them here at DFF41. On the John of All Trades website, I've got a special tab, DFF41. It's on the main menu. You'll find it there. Every episode that I've done this year will be posted under that tab. You can check out previous Denver Film Festival episodes. Those are under DFF40, 39, 38. This is my fourth fest, and this one might be the best one yet. So, big shout out to Neil Trulio for helping me set up these interviews. He is a major dude, and he is running as fast as he can for all 12 days of this fest. And I'm just doing my best to bring you interesting content. And it starts right here with episode 196, Morgan Caps and Alessandra Dabrinkulsa, the director and the editor of the Meow Wolf Origin Story. Their episode starts right now. Uh, yesterday around four. Yeah, okay. I just drove yeah. up. Oh, you drove up? Yeah. From Santa Fe? Yeah, from Santa Fe. Okay. Is that yeah. where you all are from? No. Neither no. of us are from now. there. I'm <laughs> yeah. from Chattanooga, Tennessee. No, but I mean, is that where you are now? Oh, yeah. That's, that's where, where we live. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so you're from Tennessee? Yes. Um, I was born in New York and grew up in Amsterdam. Wow. All right. Well, that's cool. <laughs> Much cooler than Tennessee, but <laughs> cool. well, I, I grew up about 20 minutes from here, so <laughs> uh, so I have probably the least interesting journey story here. How's Denver been treating you so far? Great. Amazing. We're already having so much fun yeah. from the second that we got here. Really? Oh, yeah. Cool. How long are you in town? <laughs> um, well, no, it's a cool town. Oh, yeah. Um, until Sunday. Here until Sunday. Wow, so you're here. All right, so you got the weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. not bad. And so this will likely air after the filming has already happened. But when does film? Or I'm sorry, when does the um, screening happen? Well, we have a screening Saturday night at 6.30 p.m., but I believe it's okay. already sold out. But nice. we're also playing on Monday and Wednesday. Okay. So um, you can check it out then. And also, we're really lucky um, to get to, with Fathom Events, which is out of Denver here, we're going to be playing in all 50 states on over six, at over 600 theaters on November 29th. So it'll definitely be playing here around town again. So it's like a one-day thing. Yes. Wow. Okay. Thunderclap. Yeah, thunderclap. Thunder <laughs> uh, I've never heard that term before, but that's like that's kind of a cool way of doing it. So instead yeah. of having like a, a rollout, it's like no, it's it's a tidal wave, right? Yes, right. that's a, that's awesome. Okay, so this is Morgan Caps. You are the director. Yes, we, uh, yes, I'm the director, but um, I have a directing partner, Jillian Spitzman. Okay, so you're co-director. No, we're directing partners. You're directing partners. Okay. Yeah. I'm Describe for me the distinction between the two. I think the idea of a co-director can like diminish one or the other person. Okay. Um, and so, you know, just claiming the title, I'm a, the director, she's the director too. I don't know. Our team was, and Alessandra as well, I think it goes, it comes to describing the dynamics of the team that made this film. Alessandra, Jolan and I, um, we worked extremely collaboratively. And so I felt like we needed to have credits that reflected that. Okay. Well, I mean, that's very sort of in line with the overall aesthetic of Meow Wolf. When you watch the documentary, <laughs> you know, uh, what, what was it called? Like radical inclusion? Radical inclusivity, yes. Radical inclusivity, that's right. <laughs> so not to leave you out, we've got Alessandra Dabrin-Kulsa, and she is the editor. Yes. Thank you both for being a part of this. Uh, this... So Meow Wolf is something that came into my consciousness. And by the way, I've been busy having kids for the last four years. So, but, uh, at one point it was almost hard to escape hearing about Meow Wolf. <laughs> if, if you are interested at all in issues of art or culture or anything like that. So tell me a little bit, both of you on how you came into this project, because before we got on mic, you described to me that you are not one of the artists. You're not one of the founders. So how did you come to get involved with this whole collective? So I ended up sort of on a whim having an opportunity to work on a documentary in Santa Fe for five months. It was a five-month contract, fully anticipating to move back to um, Durham, North Carolina. But when I got here, I didn't know anyone. And so I was hearing these whispers around Santa Fe 
um, when I was looking to meet people about what was originally described to me as a psychedelic Disneyland that they were building. Right. Um, and so I, I was able to get someone to give me a tour and then I started volunteering just helping like paint trees that were going in the house. And then I picked up documentation. Okay. So was this at, so this was at the point, uh, when they did the bowling alley. Right? Yes. Okay. It was the house of eternal return. Yes. I should have said that. I, guess I got started volunteering in August of 2015. Okay. And so I was around for the, the process of the build and it was amazing to watch that. And so, you know, getting to start to document at that time while still trying to like find my way into the group or place there just because, you know, it's, it's intoxicating. It, it really does pull you in. The, this like I've got to see this is crazy I've got to see where this goes Um, and then you know after they opened and were successful the idea of of making a documentary started getting tossed around and then we were I was so lucky um, that our my producer Alexander Dorenzo um, pulled in Jalan and Alessandra um, to build this team t- mm-hmm. to tell this story. Um, but I'm sure Alessandra had heard she- about Meowth before. What was your... Yeah, I uh, I had seen some of their earlier shows, and uh, yeah, I was blown away. So right. when I heard whisperings of a documentary, um, I was super psyched. <laughs> How do I get into that, right? <laughs> well, it just kind of... I- you know, we talk in the movie about this this idea about the beast, you uh-huh. know, and the beast uh, <laughs> right. roping people in, and it really felt that way. It, you know, super grateful to this the beast. amorphous beast, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> that becomes like this living, breathing organism, right? It does, it does, and it wow. feels like it's you know changed all of our lives being involved with this collective and and with the beast pulling us in. So yeah. it's been an amazing ride. Well, what's funny is the the documentary doesn't just encompass the House of Eternal Return, which is what they're sort of known for. And, you know, the involvement of George R.R. R. Martin, you, you garner a lot of mainstream coverage that way. But the documentary starts at, at, at the beginning. So how were you able to get footage from the early days of Meow Wolf? <laughs> and, you know, how, how were you pulling these things together to create this story? Yeah, well, at first we really had a challenge of having enough footage. Um, uh, sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, you can only do so many interviews, right? You want like, yeah. right. you want actual sort of documentation. You want artifacts, right? Yeah. This film couldn't <laughs> just be a talking head film, but we're no. telling, right? We're telling in the past at a time when they had no idea what they're doing. They were documenting <laughs> for their own, you know, weird projects and things. So yeah. what we got was this random assortment of clips and things. And then it was just a process of going out of our way, knocking down people's doors to get more because we couldn't build scenes much out of right. these little moments. So that is where, you know, this amazing collaboration of like working with what they're saying, what they're telling and what, what Alessandra, like what we can do with the visual material that feels authentic to that moment, but isn't necessarily the moment itself that we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of communicating. So, yeah. I was so lucky to get to sit with Alessandra through that process. We just had a lot of fun. It was collaging. We and had a lot, a lot of fun. fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the music. It was just. Were yeah. you? Did yeah. you have to cull through like a lot of stuff to get whatever was useful? Yeah, I mean, eventually we did end up having quite a lot of stuff. Um, you know, um, Emily Montoya and Benji Geary did a lot of films back in the day, and that was one of the great resources. Right. Um, and then we also had an amazing animator. Brad Wolfley, who mm. just really, you know, helped fill in the blanks. Um, oh, like with the line drawing where he's the eating the burrito? Drawings, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. some of the animations in the film were created for the house. Um, cool. And those are also just amazingly helpful to create the vibe and help, you know, <laughs> totally. cover some of the talking heads. But yeah, even at every, every screening, we have someone come up to us and be like, hey, I have footage of this. And we're like, oh, come why? on. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts so bad. I would say that like almost every scrap of footage we got made it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In every, you know, scrap. more or less. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I mean, you mentioned to me, you got the idea for sort of uh, documenting this midway through the build of House of Eternal Return. Did people's behavior or the way they presented themselves change as soon as you started filming them? Because I remember there's a moment where someone said, yeah, you can put this in your documentary. (laughs) 
And you're like, it's not what it's for. And he's like, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. I would say, and that was Lindsay Kennedy. We kind of had this little subversive team where, um, who ended up, Tristan Love, who ended up being an executive producer on, um, the doc encouraged Lindsay and I to take cameras in there and just shoot whatever. And people did not love it at first. They were, <laughs> they were very, I mean, I was new. I was this random, really outgoing person with a camera. Um, and, you know, everyone was so stressed out and it yeah. just, it did take time to develop those relationships. And there was actually a point where Sean told us to stop documenting stop filming that we weren't allowed to go in there and document and i being like you know still new to the group was like oh god okay and then just when i was still volunteering helping or with whatever i'm I'm terrible physical artist but i was just doing whatever i could do um but Lindsay did keep documenting um because she was also a photographer so we were able to kind of patch that time together um and i have to credit Lindsay for um pushing that beyond because that was a hard moment. Like we, that's why we didn't have footage of opening night. Mm. Um, but then once they opened and the idea of this came, became everyone kind of became more comfortable with it. Then we really started to get access and we went through mm. another round of interviews and did more cinema verite shooting. Um, so we really did, we got the project with all of this material and then we saw the story changing as we were building this sure. film. Yes. So, <laughs> so it was, it was yeah. And there were like three <clears throat> sets of extremely long interviews from over, you know, the last, I would say six years, six years. Wow. So that was an incredible amount of material to process as well. Is that tough as a documentarian? I'm always struck by this because when you start filming something, you necessarily change the story, mm-hmm. right? I mean, as, as soon as you do that, everyone's not only behavior becomes different, but the narrative becomes different yeah. because there's, there's almost like a consciousness associated with it, Definitely. which is fascinating to me. So as a documentarian, as both of you, how do you balance not shooting for something that you think you're going to get versus how do you pivot to what you're actually getting? So, I mean, how much of this is intent versus being Zen and just being open to what you're getting. I think for us in this situation, we knew that we wanted to get, you know, that I needed to go and shoot in both Austin and Denver Mm -hmm. because that is what was happening as we were building the story. And so we didn't know what those trips were going to be like. That was a situation where it was like, let's go and see what happens. And then just capturing as much as we, we possibly could. And also, you know, I think a lot of it is reading the moment in the shoot is reading the person, seeing where, where someone might be coming from or feeling or how to draw that out. And that's when you start to frame it. And then in the edit, you can build, if you're capturing people, if you're capturing the moment, then you get to look back and see it in the larger context. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, that's really the fun and also the play in documentary filmmaking is having an initial intent and then really, you know, just letting the puzzle come together. I mean, it's kind of like a living, breathing organism, almost the edit and just being open to things completely being turned on their head. And that's also really the thing we really appreciated about our little group together, Jalan and Morgan and I was that, you know, making a movie in a vacuum by yourself, that's that's not fun, and that's also not how, you, how the story grows. But, right. yeah, we really played off each other, and at some point the puzzle starts to click into place, and you're like, oh, that's what it wants it to be. It kind of re- it reveals itself, <laughs> too, yeah, it does. right? it does. That's it's how I think kind of, of it a, as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trippy experience. It's, it's, I would, yeah, it's an emotional and psychological experience. I don't, like, you carry that mm-hmm. when there is a truth, when there are real people, when you're... when you're balancing your own perspective with the larger perspective of um, creating a story that people can have their own feelings about and not mm-hmm. just feeding you what. And also the characters start to emerge. I mean, you know, they're people that are still very present. And so, you know, you obviously want to represent them for who they are. And, you know, you get to know the characters better through the edit. And you also, st- you know, you fall in love with all of them. And I think what's interesting is people have a lot of times a picture of who they think they are. And then once that shows up on screen, they go, that doesn't seem like who I am. You, <laughs> you must have edited that in a, in a particular way. 
I, I don't think I'm that way. Did you get any of that from the interview subjects and no, I think was everyone pretty good yeah. with it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, they don't I think it's it's really it's hard for them to watch because <laughs> and we take this as a compliment. <laughs> I think Vince has said it's like they sucked our collective we sucked their collective knowledge <laughs> out of their head of the last 10 years and put it up on the screen because they're not at every moment reflecting on where this thing started, where it mm-hmm. came from because it's so different now and they're looking forward and charging yeah. ahead. So, I think it was an important grounding moment to 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 look back on themselves you know i that's it's it's got to be a crazy experience to have someone <laughs> try to distill your life and experience down and understand you in the context of it so i mean we have only gotten like positive feedback but i know it's like it's emotional for them to watch which i i, I take as a, a high you know yeah that's a compliment but i mean that also informs sort of the the, the gravity of the mission that you have because you want to be representative. You want to be accurate. And sometimes you have to be kind of ruthless about that mm-hmm. because you, you want to get to some deeper truth and that necessarily is going to make people uncomfortable from time to time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one of the things that roped me into this immediately was one of the founders said early on, uh, I've always been drawn to people who kind of have that fuck you attitude <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Sean says that, so yeah. have I. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's, that's always been kind of me. Yeah. I've, <clears throat> I, I realized at one point and anyone who listens to this show regularly is going to be tired of me saying this, but I've had a problem <laughs> with every boss I've ever had except one. <laughs> and as you look back on that and you start stacking them up, you yeah. go, Oh, you know what? It probably wasn't all them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it wasn't really their problem. Like, <laughs> It was probably my problem. (laughs) So what's fascinating to me is listening to the fights that they had. And people would talk about screaming at each other and yelling. (laughs) And you don't necessarily always think of artists in that way. (laughs) I mean, not necessarily, right? Especially Mm -hmm. when you set it against the backdrop of the Santa Fe art community, which you do. Mm -hmm. Because you picture these very sort of nice, maybe sort of dumpy tourists Mm -hmm. showing up and looking at this nice Southwestern art, right? And then you've got this collective of like punk rock people on the margins just kind of saying fuck you and like I'm going to go to the dumpster and I'm going to zip tie all this together and I'm going to put it up in this unregulated sort of warehouse. (laughs) Nothing's up to code. It's all sort of uh, extension cords and fire hazards and stuff. Um, So to that end, I'm wondering as you called through that footage and you talked about the evolution of these people from when they started versus now, is that sort of fuck you attitude still a part of Meow Wolf or is that downplayed as they've evolved? Um, it's a great question. I think that that is still a huge part of how they are the mission of the company. Mm-hmm. I think in reality, when you have 370 employees and you God. have, you know, your, your company, you have to create profit to pay people. It, Structure gets involved, organization gets involved, and sometimes those things look like the rest of the world. And so mm-hmm. I don't think that the employees are, you know, I, there's definitely still a fuck you attitude where there's these creative creatives and this resistance against structure, but at the same time, the necessity to embrace it. So, and I think overall, the the company wants to stay radical, and it's going to it's going to be hard to do that as yeah. they grow but i you know conversations are going i would say there's still those that tension is still there but in a in a effective way in a positive way that keeps it fresh keeps it on its toes so i would say the fuck you attitude is there but in a more maybe more grown up way right. <laughs> yeah well, one of the, my favorite lines in the movie is uh <clears throat> emily says there wasn't as much uh, anarchy as people were comfortable with. And I think that's like <laughs> anarchy being comfortable. And, but I think that really, you know, there's always, we talk about the chaos versus the order. And I think that, you know, when you have a collective of so many people that you're going to have always chaos and order, and that's always the worrying thing. And it just seems like, you know, the company still is trying to push the boundaries. And I think that's right. where the fuck you attitude has kind of transformed into is like changing the rest of the world, hopefully for the better, just opening people's eyes. So yeah. yeah, and I would say another line that isn't in the movie, but I'm reminded <laughs> of from Emily's interview is she says that's sort of been our success in a way is that we don't listen to the naysayers. We 
do it anyway. We just right. do it anyway. <laughs> and that they have been successful. And so now, you know, there were people in Santa Fe who told them before they opened, like, you're going to fail. You're doing a bad thing for this community. It's going to make us look bad. This is a terrible idea. And them being freaked out, but like, no, fuck you. We're doing it anyway. Right. <laughs> totally. Well, and to me, it, you know, as you go, it, you know, as you get on in the documentary, the, the sort of fuck you uh, is more towards the, you know, I call it corporate hegemony right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's more towards, no, it doesn't have to be this way. Mm -hmm. Like we are, so we've got this and now our, all of our installations are up to code. You know, we have all the fire retardant stuff. We have insurance, we have all this, but the culture that we have is different than what you have. And so like, yeah, one thing that struck me was Vince at the, at the end says, you know, I want to be a billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. That's crazy ambition. Like that's insanity. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the idea for me, so, I mean, going from sort of this DIY thing, we're on a podcast here. I've been doing this for four and a half years. I never have any desire to have any employees. Right. Mm -hmm. But at some point, and and everyone likes to start out as the underdog, right? That's always a, a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. If if you're sort of trying to like fight for space, that keeps you hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At some point, if you have success, you are going to become at least resembling uh, resembling the thing upon which you were railing. Mm-hmm. And the the idea of transitioning to that is always one that's fascinating to me, which is what I loved about the arc of this documentary. Right? Because you all found the through line there. And that's a story that's not uncommon. It's like, hey, we started this out. We didn't know what we were doing. Mm -hmm. We had, you know, 900 bucks or whatever that we were paying a month. It was $70 a person. Mm -hmm. What, you know, and now what is it? What is the company currently? 20 million, 50 million, something like that? I think more. 150 million. 150 million. So I remember he said, you know, uh, 16, yeah. Yeah. Like half a billion is within reach, but you know, why, fuck it. Why not? Let's yeah. shoot for a billion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, it's amazing to me because those are much different muscles. Mm-hmm. And as you've seen this film unfold and as you've put it together, how has it been developing the muscles for the folks at Meow Wolf? How has our film been developing? Or honest. So like watching them go from just being this ragtag group of people mm-hmm. living in one room mm-hmm. to now being a part of a $150 million company. How mm-hmm. has it been watching their evolution to become that? Fascinating. Um, <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's intense because as we were making the film, these huge changes were happening all it, it was continuing to evolve and so were the people that we were we were telling the story about and so we were constantly going back in for shooting because the truth sort of kept evolving in right. a way and so now even after we finished the film and it's out it's it's overwhelming and honestly going back into documentation for me has been I'm coming out of it on a, in a different place than when Are I started. Are you doing more it. documentation? Yes, I'm oh. actually employed now by Meow Wolf. Uh, okay. Um, so I'm doing uh, developing other work out like that's not inward facing about Meow Wolf, but I'm also with Jalan in the best position to continue to document because this is just the next huge layer mountain that they're climbing. That's it's already you know it's extremely ambitious, and there's yeah. you know if it fails. It would not be good. <laughs> um, so it's, but it's different for me now because I feel in a way like, bef- whereas before I felt insider outsider making the film, but now I feel fully inside of this thing. You're in the family. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's harder and harder to see, but that's why I think I'm so like, I am drawn to the challenge of continuing to try to see this thing as it grows like exponentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the the big things that is just such a powerful thing that Mialf has created is, yeah, they were, you know, just broke artists, right? But I feel like they're really helping to change the culture of how artists are viewed and what their worth is. And there's another line that didn't end up making it in the movie by Matt King where he says, you know, why why should artists be just totally broke? Like, why can't... I have good food. Why can't I, you know, why do I have to live in squalor to be an artist? I think that is um, kind of just an archetype of an artist that has, you know, continued over thousands of years. And, you know, if you look at, at 
all these artists that then had success after their death, but lived in squalor. And I feel like that is a really important thing to break down. Now, you know, all these 370 people have salaries, they have health insurance, you know? Right. And so to just be like, give artists what they're worth and let them have a comfort, you know, a living wage. You don't necessarily need, you know, squalor and negativity to create amazing art, you know? Right. And you don't have to be craven about it either because this is some of the weirdest shit on earth, right? (laughs) That they're making. Yeah. And, but people are responding to that. So there's a market for that. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's a misconception in our culture that if you're just creating art for art's sake, it's like, well, who's going to want that? Like that's, you know, that's not uh, a worthwhile pursuit. Mm -hmm. You should go, I don't know, sell insurance or something, Mm -hmm. you know, like, no, this does have value. Mm-hmm. And like what's fucked up is all the people grinding it out, sort of just grinding out at bats mm-hmm. to use a baseball metaphor. Mm-hmm. What do they do when they have free time? They're going to go create art or they're going to go see art or they're going to go see film. Mm-hmm. And so why is the model so fucked up to your point mm-hmm. that, that we can't necessarily have that? There's a, another line I could quote from somebody too. Like, you know, creativity is what makes the U.S. a a dynamic economy, and Mm. often the consumer doesn't have to pay for that. So there aren't these opportunities Mm. for it. Mm. And so, you know, this is shifting that paradigm where it's a little bit socialist or attempting to be, but it's still a corporation, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, or be corporation. But um, I think it's important. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me, Mm. is that... This experiment is important no matter what happens. You know, we have to keep checking it to keep it radical because it's growing, because um, profit is involved. But at the same time, I... I want this to be the new reality for other people. Like it's changed my life. I'm, I'm a salaried documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. What is that? And I don't. That's wild, yeah. Right. And it's not <laughs> just to document Meow if it's to, to make work. So it, that's sort of what's fast, the dichotomy there and why, yeah. you know, when it comes to Denver, it's going to be creating that for people here too. And so I'm, you know, fa- it's fascinating to watch what it will look like in new cities. Well, and I think uh, some of the things that, that we had talked about, you know, artists living in squalor, some of that is almost weirdly romanticized. Yes. You know, yes. like there, there's Can't a whole... Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's like, you know, people, you'll hear comedians say, you know, I was worried about quitting drinking or quitting drugs or whatever because I was worried <laughs> I wasn't going to be funny anymore. Right. It's like, well, that's not really where it comes mm-hmm. from. Like the struggle can inform. Right. But I mean, if you have this art and this creativity inside of you, Right. You know, why should you have to willingly subject yourself to hardship? Mm-hmm. Right. I think Katie, another quote that didn't make it in the film. This is great. We- this is like uh, <laughs> deleted scenes. It this is, is like, yes. I sort of like started to have a photographic memory of the transcripts. Um, <laughs> but Katie talks about how, you know, if you have the opportunity to get your work out, to do more, to make it bigger, like, leaning into sort of that, what you say, like that romanticized idea of the struggle is a cop-out, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that there, I've found that really interesting. I think that's the truth. It's, it's scary to keep pushing your work to a larger audience because it's vulnerable. Um, and you might not like what you hear, but right. it's also, are you growing if you're creating work for yourself or for right. the idea, the romanticized idea of being an artist? Well, it reminds me of when middle school kids ask each other out and it's like, will you go out with me? No. Oh, well, that's cool. I was just kidding. Anyway, right? <laughs> you know, it, and it's a defense mechanism. So, right. you know, by sort of shielding yourself, it's like, well, I just make this art for me. Like, mm-hmm. it, and so I'll just live in poverty. It's just for me. It's like, well, you're really not taking the risk that you should be mm-hmm. because if you put it out there and you say, this is good and this has value, there's a risk of someone saying to you, no, it doesn't. Exactly. And that's really, really hard to recover from. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, the value of art really comes into question here. And I think that one of the big things that Meow Wolf is doing and that a lot of other artists are, are doing is that, you know, art changes you from within, right? Mm. So does change come from outside or does it come from within and you know i'm a mother of two and i can see just editing this movie in my house i see my daughters completely just doing all their own stuff and making all their own stuff and inspiring their friends and you know i think there is also such a big aspect of social change within this film so 
you know, do you, do you change the world by yelling at someone else or being <laughs> violent or do you change it by touching their hearts and inspiring yeah. them to make other things that, you know, touch yeah. other hearts. And I think that's, that's really a the gorgeous statement too. How old are your kids? Um, I have a three year old and I have a almost 10 year old and I also have a 25 year old stepson. Oh, so. <laughs> that's awesome. So my kids are four and two Nice. and my daughter, like that you watch their minds and their minds are going a million miles an hour. Right. Yeah. And so I asked my one daughter, the four year old, and I'm like, she was talking about her sisters. I'm like, well, you have one sister. She goes, no, I have these two other sisters. And so they're her like imaginary sisters. Oh, <laughs> and so and I, I go, what are their names? And she told me one of the names. And one of the names was like Rick Alyssa Issa. <laughs> and I go, wow, where did you even invent that? Like, that's, that's delightfully insane. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so you're, I mean, you're right. You, you watch this evolve and I mean, it's changed my life. Like she'll, she'll draw something and objectively go, okay, well, what is that? And then she'll describe it to me and I'll go, that's brilliant like <laughs> like that just came out of your head literally from what reference point exactly yeah well, i think that happens with adults is you lose that and i think that yeah. art can help you get it back sure and i think what's neat so just to kind of go back to what you're saying about kids too i think there's something vincent said like when they go to the house like they are just in it. They're there. There's no like questioning. It's because their minds are already exist in that place. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So when adults are coming in, you know, sometimes there's some skepticism and then, you know, what is different about experiencing art in this way is that it can be transformational. Yeah. Um, it can be opening someone who hasn't had access to a traditional art world or art mm-hmm. in general to possibility like beyond, what we see every day. And I think that is something that people crave, whether they realize it or not. Yeah. It's something they want, whether they know it or not. I think that's a good point. (laughs) It reminds me of, uh, I'm a big, like Andy Kaufman fan, um, because that guy was on just a whole different plane Mm -hmm. and he was talking about his big Carnegie hall special. And so, you know, he had the Rockettes come out and then he had Santa and he took everyone out for milk and cookies. It was this very avant-garde sort of weird thing. Like (laughs) he's going to rent a bunch of buses and then take them to a local elementary school and feed them all milk and cookies. But he said, they're going to turn into children right in front of me. And I thought, wow, like what a cool goal to have. And what I was reminded of that because of what you just said about house of eternal return. So well, childhood is the place where infinite possibility exists. Yeah. You know, I heard this statement recently that uh, a three-year-old that their brain is actually operating on genius level. And then Hmm. by the age of 18, it's shut down to 3% because people are constantly hearing no. And that actually physically changes something in the pathways of your brain where you can't dream as much and your possibilities are closed. And I think that people going to Meow Wolf, it kind of opens that again. And I can say from personal experience, just being involved in this film and being involved with this amazing group of people, I feel like it's expanded you know, things that had shut down in me of like, oh, I have to assimilate or, you know, at this age or this and that. And it's like, no, anything is possible. Anyone can do anything if they can believe it. And that's manifesting. Well, if you want to shut down those pathways, become a communications (laughs) consultant like I am. Because people will go, we need a new way of doing this. And you go, here's a new way. And they go, well, we can't do it that way. Because we've never done it that way. And you go, well, fuck. Like, why did you even hire me? Like, why am I even here? (laughs) Um, But coming back to the adult world here, one thing that fascinates me about art, especially art of this scale, is it's where sort of creativity and genius and abstract and Mm. insanity meets the practical because you have these ideas, right? Mm-hmm. But you still need someone who can work a fucking table saw. Oh yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You need someone who, who knows how to, you know, I put up siding, which I think, uh, David did all the siding on the ship. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so you need someone who can like run tools and know how to do that. Uh, <laughs> what was that like, uh, you know, watching these people sort of learn those skills? I think Benji says it best in he's the, the hyperweb. Um, seeing everybody, you know, the beauty of collaboration and DIY is that they would pull in people who knew what they were doing into the group. And then, like, sh- it was sh- skill sharing. I know so many people who during the house, like, learned new skills. Mm. Um and like like welding and things like that. But there were these amazing welders, um, really talented 
welders, Amy and I think it was Jeff, um, who came in to be in the group. And then are they like artists or are they just like, they're wel- artists or are they like tradespeople? They're, no, they're artists of welders okay. I, of all sorts of, um, skill sets and backgrounds. All of these people came together and became one team. And so in that way, it was like, it was creating that strength, that web where things were able to, to fall. Yeah, well, you know, we don't live in a culture of apprentices so much right. anymore, right? So, but yeah, you know, the the focus was really on, do you have the drive to do this? If you don't have the skills, we'll teach you. As long yeah. as you have the drive and you have the vision, you know, that's, right. that's a cool thing, I think, in this day and age. That is cool. I mean, and I think about when I'm working with like a graphic artist, um, because I, I don't have art skills for shit either. <laughs> um, but I'll be like, okay, so here's a story we want to tell. I need an infographic that's like this. And getting people on the same page is always a fascinating process too. It's like, here's the thing that's in my head. I can't draw it for you. So I'm going to attempt to use words and I need you to draw it. And then that gets reflected back at me and it's like, yes, this, but kind of kicked, uh-huh. you know, 45 mm-hmm. degrees. Right. I need it. I need it like this, but also like this. <laughs> and so you're right. A culture of collaboration where, where people are, emboldening each other with their different skill sets um, was was really cool. I want to talk about the House of Eternal Return real quickly because once that's built, and how long did that take to get built? Oh, gosh. I would say two two years. Two years. Okay, wait. 18 months. Okay. No, I... 18 months, I think. Okay, so it's a month. I mean, it's it's a year plus. Maybe two. Yeah, I don't... Don't quote. I mean, okay. yeah, I'm on the radio. Okay. <laughs> Google uh, it. <laughs> I, 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 am, I am going to quote you here. Um, but so my question is, once that's built and people are seeing it and going to it, you know, and they're, you know, and it exists as a product now, how does, like, does that change? Because admittedly, I haven't been there. I haven't been down to Santa Fe yet, and I'd love to check it out. Yes, come down. But does, does that uh, does the House of Eternal Return keep changing, or does it become yes. more of a static thing? No, they're constantly updating it, okay. building new new parts of the exhibit. Wow. And I was in there last week, too. and I saw something. I was like, what? This is so cool. Yeah. yeah there, it's always morphing. The LLC, yeah. the, the, the group that keeps it going, because um, they are amazing, the people who work in the exhibit itself. You know, there's so much care. You know, Santa Fe will always be Miel's home, home mm-hmm. base, and so just like all of the exhibits, like, they aren't, they don't want to create static work. They want to create yeah. living work. So. I mean, last year they closed for a whole month yeah, to update it, which, you know, weeks, you sure. lose out obviously on a lot of ticket sales. But <laughs> so that's, yeah, I think really admirable to keep the art fresh instead of thinking about the money you're thinking about right. the experience and why it's there. Is there ever tension, you know, with, with the leadership um, of Meow Wolf who, you know, you start as this little art collective and you're making art all the time. And now I think, I think Vince was talking about, you know, now I'm talking to insurance companies and there's a shot of him in the documentary of him like answering emails on a plane <laughs> and it's like dark. Yeah. Is there ever any tension between like, man, I started this so I could create a lot of art. Now I'm running a business. I would say that's true for Sean. Um, Vince has always been the organizer. Okay. You know, I, he, he has been, that is his art is being the pusher, the 100, you know, he is, he carries that intensity for the company. Right. Let's scale up. Let's, yes. Let's keep pushing. Exactly. And I'm going to go out and get funding. Yeah. Okay. And I, Sean, it, it, he, he's so talented. He's a very talented artist, but he is also really good at what he does. And so I, I think that's probably hard for him and it continues to be um and i think you know that's even starting to happen to matt king and like you know the ones who started this thing for it to get bigger they have to make certain sacrifices they're not getting to make as much art on a daily basis but they're still i mean they're matt's still making so much art i think (laughs) he just has to go to more meetings than he likes to go to (laughs) meetings meetings will be the death of us all seriously i mean Um, is it, is it ever a case, do you ever get the sense that it's a case of be careful what you wish for? Because it's like, this is what we wanted. This is, you know, we wanted to make this sustainable. We want to get paid for doing artists and creating this awesome stuff. But all of a sudden, when you have success, no matter what job you're in, you tend to get further away from the origin point. Oh yeah. I think they're working towards really trying to balance that though. Sure. But I do, I do think, 
whether they admit it or not, I'm sure that has crossed their minds, you know, like, um, it's just not easy and there are sacrifices, but I think it's about the beast ultimately. Right. <laughs> yeah. And now they're helping to lift up others. I mean, you know, one of the big things that they stand for is helping the underdog still. And there's uh you might want to talk more the about DIY the DIY fund. fund. They yeah. started, um, that gives grants to collectives, um, around the country. They can apply for them to kind of help maintain facilities. It was in response Safety. to the ghost ship fire. Oh yeah. So that, and a bunch of DIY spaces were shut down in Denver exactly. too. Yeah. Like Rhinoceropolis. Yeah. So Denver has been a big first one of like re- recipients of these DIY grants because we have to stop these, these spaces from getting shut down because they're important. Yeah. They matter. Mm-hmm. What was, uh, what was, your biggest headache making this documentary, both of you, if you had one. Um, we did this really on an in- extreme timeline. Yeah. And it wasn't so much, it was thrilling, but <laughs> it was a, like panic in a way too. We, we were pushing full, full speed ahead the whole time. And I don't, I didn't take a day off for months. Yeah. Um, and that was extreme, but we felt like we were going through our own like build out process too. <laughs> yeah. So at the <laughs> end of it, we kind of felt like, you know, we had been through mm-hmm. it too, even though as a volunteer, I wasn't carrying any kind of mm-hmm. real responsibility. I was a volunteer. This was a huge amount of responsibility, incredible gift, um, to get to tell this story. But, uh, an incredible responsibility too. Yeah. What about you, yeah. Alessandra? Yeah, same thing. Same the t- timeline was definitely tough on us, but you know, I think we worked it out. We spent over five thousand hours. <laughs> <laughs> we basically became we family. Like never ever fought. It's ne- crazy. Yeah. Wow. Ne- we have never had an argument. <laughs> but yeah, we just. I, I think you know, you know, I've been making film for over you know about twenty years and. This is my favorite movie I've ever made. Really? And a lot of it, I mean, it, for, it's the most inspiring story I've ever had. Oh, yeah. It ch- the, just the whole collective has changed my life and it inspired me and empowered me. But the real foundation of that was the love between Morgan, Jillian, and I. It's just, That's it was such an amazing experience oh, working yeah. together. That was yeah. the best part. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that I liken it to is I have a writing partner and we haven't fought either. Like we'll, we'll sort of jockey for ideas. You well, know? Yeah, yeah. You have to but, do that. That's, you're yeah. not, you're not productive that's if you're not, right. No, exactly. It's just a willingness to try it and choose. Right. And that's and be open what we to had. Them. Exactly. Yeah. And that was true for everyone on our team. So it was, a, it felt like a free creative process, but what, well, because it was, it was this huge challenge. We had to turn over every stone. But I think about when I was, I started this website and this was just three people and the two of us were sort of on the same page and we had our third founder and I still carry some regret over this because we just couldn't get on the same page, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we would fought and it ended up creating a lot of tension in our relationship and we go, you know what? It's better to just go our separate ways. And that's tough. Like what, what a tough thing when it's like, Hey, we all want to create this great thing, but we're just at loggerheads over it Mm -hmm. and we just, we have to cut. Well, that's the success of this group, right? Like they, they had conflict. They still do. But what they are willing to do is like eat shit and move past it or compromise (laughs) or, you know, you choose, I've heard a lot of them say, choose your battles. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a certain amount of that to be a part of this thing. And that's really actually what inspires me as well, Mm -hmm. that it's like, don't let, these these interpret like sean says at one point let's get over our shit (laughs) you know so it's a lot of that yeah Yeah. you know katie also says like it's more more like family than friends yeah it's just Mm -hmm. i remember that line yeah don't shy away from from conflict and don't shy away from speaking your truth but also don't shy away from letting someone else and compromising and just being grateful for what you have so how many fests have you taken this to I think somewhere around 10. Jeez. Uh, a little Just with yeah. Joanne. We've had a lot of events too. Events. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're, we love going to festivals. Yeah. We're having a blast in Denver. 
<laughs> already. But again, if you if anyone can't make it to the screenings during the festival, which are um, there's one on Monday and Wednesday. I don't know when this will air, but November 29th, go to our website, meowolf.com slash doc, and you can see where it's playing in Denver and tell any of your friends anywhere else in the country who you think would be into it. Um, we're just really excited to have this opportunity to play um, on all these screens because this story means so much to us. Yeah. yeah. We're also grateful to the House of Yes. We're having an interactive screening with the House Little of Yes cinema. in New York. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cinema. So if anyone's in New York, it's going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that sounds amazing. And then I know you can't talk about details about Denver, but when is that targeted to open? 2020. 2020? Yeah. Okay. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Tw- oh, and Vegas. They're okay. both going to be amazing. I wish I could say more, but... I am excited for you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, no, we're, we're excited too um, because, you know, Santa Fe is not that far from here. And so when Denver was selected, I think everyone was pretty jazzed because yeah. a lot of people had gone down to Santa Fe and said, man, you got to check this thing out. This is outrageous. This is so different and so cool and so weird. Yeah. And then they're like, we're expanding to Denver. And everyone goes, holy shit. <laughs> like, Denver's um, been amazing. Such an amazing community here. Well, thank you. Um, as a representative of Denver, I'll say thank you on behalf <laughs> of the city. But uh, this was a real pleasure. The, the film is fantastic. There will be links to the screenings where you can buy tickets, where you can learn more on the John of All Trades companion blog piece. That's J-O-N of all trades dot U-S. All the links are there. Morgan, Alessandra, what a pleasure and continued success to you both. Thank, Thank you, you so much, John. Us. This was, was so much pleasure. fun. Yeah. <laughs> that wraps up episode 196 of the John of All Trades podcast. Thank you to Morgan Caps and Alessandra Dabrinkulsa, the director and the editor of the Meow Wolf origin story. The film is fantastic. Meow Wolf is doing fascinating work, and this was a real pleasure. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T. If you're looking for writing, if you're looking for content, engagement, training, maybe you're going in front of a group and you need to brush up your skills, DEFCOM can help you with that. I also do podcasting. I'm producing a number of podcasts in addition to the one you're hearing right now. So check us out on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E. If you're doing anything online, whether you're building a website, doing some social media marketing, or online advertising, 4Degrees can get the message right and then get it in front of the people who need to see it the most, and they will do it for a price that is very, very attractive. Check them out. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Lots and lots of content coming down the pike here for the John of All Trades podcast at DFF41. Like I said, this is my favorite time of year, so I'm thrilled to bring you the work of great filmmakers all on display here in my city. So stay tuned to the John of All Trades social media channels, J-O-H-Pod, across platforms. And I'm going to be back in just a couple of days with a brand new episode. So until I hear you again, say goodnight, Tracy. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.